Hello everybody and welcome to episode 62 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, I've played ukulele and the world just feels brighter. Wind Waker news in 2017, there's a statement. Battlefront 2 trailer leaks, will this game be fun for more than half an hour this time? And prepare to get weird this week as Mark sits down with our special guest Brian Rose to talk all things Earthbound. Let's do it. I am your party host, Dave Ryan, joined, as I am every week, by the platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you? I'm good. Uh, no point asking me what I've been up to, because I have nothing for you. You have nothing. I, I just, you are a blank canvas this on week, which I can project my own week. This week has just merely existed for me. I'll tell you one thing. Uh-huh. I am getting... Uh, I need a little bit of separation from this microphone here. <laughs> I've been in front of this microphone a lot this you, week. You've been providing a lot of content I've been, oh, I've been a content machine <laughs> this week. Um, so, <clears throat> since our last podcast, so last we record these on a Wednesday. So, we did, we did our podcast on Wednesday. That was fine. I did my Friday plays for last week. That's That's fine. So the, the, the those I'm used to. Saturday we did um um as I think I mentioned before I've been on the Dr. Keith Presents show over at wrestlingobserver.com. Put those plugs in. Uh on the road to WrestleMania with uh with Alan and Justin Shapiro. Uh, friends of the show I think I can say safely at this That's point. That's fair. Um and that was a whole thing. Uh, I think that that went on for about why, two hours or so. Uh, Alan had some significant technical difficulties on his side, and I was trying to provide IT support from my side where I could, to the point now where our spare microphone is going to Alan on a Saturday. Oh, that's an official thing now. Oh, that's an official yeah, He's completely... Like, uh, I'll put it this way. Uh, he contact. We do this show over Skype, unlike this one where we're in the same room together. Um, and <laughs> Alan contacted me. Uh, he'd be rang me on Skype and I, I picked up the phone and said, hi, Alan. And the first thing he said to me without even saying anything else was, I'm retiring from podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> this is too much. Um, so we had that. Then we had the, the whole show. This was about a two-hour recording. And then we, over the weekend, we recorded some of our Retro Corner 64, which is uh, our YouTube series, our kind of short-form series, where we're going through every single game released in uh, English-speaking territories for the Nintendo 64. We did four or five of those we did five yeah yeah we did five uh so that was more time in front of a microphone and then when you were at work i recorded uh the first episode of what is sort of a spin-off podcast of ours um our giant size annuals that cover wrestling have now been rebranded as the grap up uh so every few months we're going to be doing a podcast talking about all things in the crazy world of professional wrestling it yeah when that, necessary to uh, it was something that a few listeners had had inquired about every time we did one of the wrestling ones so i said yeah why not like it's no commitment to say every few months no we probably won't do any this side of summer slam again unless something major happens um i, I may be money in the bank uh, push but even then you could coincide that with summer slam to a certain yeah. degree 
Except that won't that won't even be as newsworthy this year because that's a SmackDown exclusive show this year. Yeah, that. Yeah. Well, I mean, but we're getting into it yeah, now. anyway. Sure. So go to the wrap up. Um, we posted it yesterday as you're listening. I just to want to say, uh, so we've got the TV on, and they were just showing clips of uh, the Fast and Furious. I genuinely thought for a second there that Sky had decided to make a channel specifically just for Fast and the Furious films. Oh no, they they have the Dunna Sky Movies channel for Fast and Furious. Yeah. <laughs> They do that for different movies that come out. Like they'll do. I mean, the I, get, I get it for like the Bond or, series because yeah, yeah. there's twenty. Yeah, but it's just like it'll be a channel that will just on when the film comes out, then the channel will go away. Sure. It just does the the series on rotation. Okay. Um. Yeah. So the, a lot of podcasts that that grapple went up yesterday. Uh, as you're listening to this today, as we're recording it, uh, check it out. It was a fun show with uh, fr- official friends of the show, Barry Murphy and Jack Lazell. Mm. Good lads, good I will, content, talking all things WrestleMania week. Uh, I will say to to move on to a slight tangent, I can tell you what's definitely in the air, and that is spring, and that is pollen, because mm-hmm. my nose is... Uh, Are you a hay fever man? Well, so, it's really weird. Uh, I, I don't understand the kind of nuances of how hay fever works and how it affects people, but mm-hmm. when I was a lot younger, um, it was specifically my eyes that dealt with hay fever, uh, to the point that yeah, yeah, I was that's... trying to claw the damn things out. Mm-hmm. And then it moved on to just, it was uh, uh, my nose, and I just kind of sneezed consistently. And it's been a lot calmer over the last couple of years. Although, um, you know, one of those years was spent in another country. Um, but it, it's more now that it's not kind of consistently sneezing or anything. It's just just constantly just, like, rubbing at the nose like I might have a Coke addiction. Yeah. Um, it's just annoying. It's more of an annoyance more than anything else. Like, it can't fully commit to being, like an allergic reaction or an allergy or anything it's just mm. no it's just an inconvenience it just wants to remind me constantly oh yeah you do suffer from hay fever it's interesting like you must get it a bit worse than i do because i haven't actually had it this year yet uh well i see I, it's only it even you know when you're at like the beginning stages of getting a cold where you might have like a little bit of a sore throat or something mm-hmm. it's more like that like i'm not sneezing i'm not yeah. irritated around the eyes it's just just a slight annoyance yeah um i i usually like will if the pollen's bad and i'm out and i'm doing the garden it will get real oh bad. yeah, so yeah, it'll yeah. Get real bad real quick so I, I tend to take a if i hear the pollen count is going to be high or if i plan to do the gardening i'm going to take a zyrtec for the day just sure. to just to <clears throat> avoid that whole mess and it's around the time as well um a lot of the uh gardeners and kind of public mm-hmm. service people out there like the grass has been cut quite a bit over the last week or so and i don't think that helps no uh, our friend ben actually has it real bad his his hay fever um like he gets his whole face and throat well he's swell up like and... it's just about anything that kills him <laughs> from like what i know oh, poor guy the hay fever is the worst one though like he proper he just if we're doing the gardening he won't come over he, does he have a peanut allergy i don't know he strikes me as someone it's who has a peanut allergy. peanut allergy what a what a what a burial of the man um <laughs> Yeah, that's that's pretty much what we've been up to this week. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exactly. It's... A whole lot of hot nothing. Yeah, pretty much. A whole lot of sitting in front of a fucking microphone. Let's do it some more. Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark. 
I'm going to carry on. I've got yeah. <laughs> the theme continues. So this show. I, I will say there's a few issues I have. Uh, one that my PS Plus subscription has run out. It's <laughs> uh, like 80% of your library. Pretty just... much. I went to play Rocket League and it was like, no. Oh, yeah, Rocket League. No oh, man. Rocket League, this jam. It's just all out the fucking window. You can't jam any hot discs. I can't, exactly. So I, I did take a bunch of games. Uh, I traded in at GameStop. Um, but that's one of my card because uh, the only thing that I was thinking that I'd want to buy as a physical game at the moment is Neo Automata, but it's no one it's has hard it. To find. No one has it. Yeah, it's like I I found like the f- last copy, physical copy of Yakuza Zero in any GameStop. Yeah, I'd so they into. did have Yakuza Zero in GameStop, but oh, they got that back. Didn't yeah, they? but I I think it was a secondhand copy. Um, and Titanfall Two, which did go down to whatever price, is back up to like forty five quid now in euros. So. I was just like, you know what? The only other things I want to play, uh, there's like Night in the Woods, maybe ukulele, but it's just, it's still not money I can justify spending at the moment. I've got one month to go until, hopefully, fingers crossed, money starts coming in at a regular pace where I can afford to actually buy games. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I've literally, I've to be fair, I have a whole bunch of Hitman levels I could still be playing through, yeah. but I sit... The thing with Hitman is if I sit down to play Hitman, I know I have to spend at least an hour to an hour and a half. and To do it right. Yeah, and my attention span's not there at the moment. So um, there's a few things like uh, for pocket tactics and stuff, but nothing that I, I really need to discuss. So I'm going to leave you to talk to me about a little game called Ukulele because there have been yeah. a mixture of reviews about this game. And mm-hmm. I messaged you earlier and I said, can I, can I genuinely get like an unbiased review from <laughs> you about this game considering <laughs> your and very well documented uh, uh passion for uh, the banjo kazooie series and what did i say uh no i said almost certainly almost not. certainly not yeah. yeah so with that but said i will ask you some questions enormous to see if caveats I, if, how, how many would you put into it um so far because I've, I've not had that much time to get into it i've only put in about four or five hours okay that's like. that's still enough that i'm gonna ask you a few questions to see if i can find any uh any negativity discrepancies or whatever i can find about the game so mm-hmm. please please start the floor is yours so um ukulele for those who don't know is from platonic games it was a game that was uh kickstarted uh successfully and is the spiritual successor to banjo kazooie and it is banjo kazooie in all but name if they had gotten the rights, this would have been banjo three um, that's how Banjo Kazooie it is, from the the musical cues uh, to the fonts to the uh, the voice acting. That's just their yeah. noises. Everything is top to bottom Banjo Kazooie. Um, a lot of the the mechanics in it are the sorry the well the narrative structure of it and the things you collect are analogs to things from Banjo Kazooie. It's very much. Uh, I did a Friday of plays that'll be going up um, on Friday of this game. And the thing I keep hitting on in it is this isn't a game that's going to win over any new fans to this kind of game. No, it's a complete love letter to anyone that likes. It is, it is absolutely down to the fact that, like, you know, instead of instead of uh, filling out big jigsaws to unlock worlds, you're filling up your uh, filling up big books called tomes. You go into the world and instead of collecting jiggies, jigsaw pieces, you're collecting pages. Like, that's how yeah. much of an analogue it is to, to Banjo-Kazooie. Uh, some of the things that are slightly different that they do about it, and then I'll, I'll kind of throw over to you uh, to, to try and ask some questions, because uh, I'll just ramble for ages <laughs> otherwise. Uh, the, the the way moves are unlocked, so in Banjo-Kazooie and games like that, you had someone, the equivalent of, uh, in Banjo-Kazooie, it was Bottles. 
the mole who he was in every level and in every level he would teach you a new thing mm. and there would be jiggy related puzzles around that one thing and then it would also encourage you to go back to previous levels where there was a jiggy related thing with one of those in it so he would just teach you when you found where he was in a level he would teach you where it was in this you have uh the, the equivalent of bottles is a a, <laughs> a snake called trouser for he is a trouser snake mm-hmm. um and he's his design is actually really cool because it's a it's a snake winding in and out of a pair of shorts yeah i saw the picture you put up it's a, it's a really cool and he's got an old like 90s paulie dangerousy style cell phone <laughs> uh, that i really pop for um, and constantly when like his idle animation when he's talking to you in a cutscene is that constantly his phone rings and he's surprised by it and he takes it out and starts nattering on it. Um, but with him, you, you buy your moves. You don't just unlock them by running into him. So he'll have uh, like, uh, these are the things that are in my shop. Here's your three or four moves. And it's going to cost you... Um, in the way you had the musical notes in, in Banjo-Kazooie that unlocked doors in the world, um, you use the, the equivalent of that. There's, fed, there's quills, golden quills, that are the, the equivalent of those musical notes. They're all over the place, so you get a certain amount of quills, you trade them in for your moves, and you, you get moves where you can, um, you can use uh, Yuka's tongue to, to lick elemental fruits off plants and launch them. So you can... There's a yellow plant if you eat the things off the plant you can breathe fire for a little while so very much like a yoshi a yeah yeah that, kind, that kind of thing yeah um and then the one of the other twists on it already early on is uh the idea that you can expand the world so you unlock a tome for a certain amount of pages which is a really fucking strange thing to say out loud <laughs> so you use a certain amount of pages to unlock a tome that's your new world you go into the world and instead of being a smaller world that has um 10 jigsaw pieces like you get in Banjo-Kazooie this one has 25 pages mm-hmm. so they are much much bigger than anything in either of the Banjo games worldwide um, but then it, for a certain amount more of these pages you can expand the world so the next time you go back into the world after you've expanded it <clears throat> Areas you hadn't noticed. It's not that there's like areas walled off or blocked off. It's like you come into the 2.0 version of that world where it's just built out and up and there are new things where there was nothing. Mm. Um, And today I I expanded a tome for the first time just to see what it was like. And uh, I (laughs) ran into, of all people, Shovel Knight. Yeah. Yeah. Did not fucking know Shovel Knight was in this game. <laughs> Don't know if he's going to reappear in it. But he uh, he explains that he was on an adventure so grand that he got lost and ended up in the wrong game. And uh, <clears throat> you have to help him out find a jewel he's looking for. And then he digs you up a pagey. Uh, so that was a cool little cameo from him. And then the other thing I want to say that's really, really cool is uh, there's <laughs> there's uh, one of the, the collectibles. So there's collectibles similar to like Jinjos and Banjo-Kazooie and things like that. But one of the collectibles are these pixelated play coins. And they're Rextro coins. You grab those and then you find somewhere in the... I don't know if it's in every world, but in the first world, when you find your play coin, you can find him. Uh, there is a polygonal dinosaur 
sitting on a giant fucking arcade machine. It's really weird. In the middle of these kind of aztec ruins that this first level is made up of, or these tropical ruins, uh, there's just a giant arcade machine lit up in neon. Uh, and you go up to him and you trade in the coin and he'll unlock a new Rextro retro style game. And um, the one he, he unlocked is very much like, a, almost like an Excite Bike or one of those kind of games where it's a, it's it's a little kart racer where you're doing a, a time trial going around uh, different obstacles getting around and the first time if you can beat the five laps at all um he gives you a pagey and then he says if you can beat the top leaderboard score on this arcade machine then you'll get another prize from him mm-hmm. um so that's kind of um apart from that like that's i think those are the main things i wanted to hit on so uh, okay. f- fire away so my first question Seven. Does this game have anything in the way of what feels like new mechanics or anything that really advances on the kind of foundation of what uh, Banjo-Kazooie is? Uh, not hugely so. There are definitely a lot of things, especially early on, that are very reminiscent of Banjo-Kazooie. Even some of the, the move upgrades are... Like, the, the elemental things I said, the, like the, the fire and ice breathing, um, that, that those are definitely new. Those weren't uh, a Banjo-Kazooie thing before. Um, none of it is so revolutionary that it moves so far on from the Banjo-Kazooie games that it is something completely different. But what it is, is it moves on just enough that, again, like I said, this is easily the third one in that Banjo-Kazooie series, where it has pretty much a lot of the core mechanics of the first two games and then adds a f- bolts a few on. Um, that said, though, like I am only a couple hours into the game. I am still in my first home world, so I don't know how much gets added on by the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I couldn't fully comment on okay. that. but. Um, do the worlds feel alive? Is there a lot going on? Because with, um, say, like, Conquer's Bad Fur Day or Mm Banjo-Kazooie, if you go back and play them now, there's not a lot of, like, NPCs around, but the games don't need that, and that's just kind of um, a product of those games at the time. Yeah. Does this... Yeah, they're, they're, they're bustling with activity that you'll never go more than about five or six seconds running in any direction without something that will catch your attention. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be an enemy mob wandering around or some sort of character that's going to do a quest to get you one of the collectibles or some cool-looking building that you're going to want to go climb or, or something like that. So everything is... Despite them being really big worlds, they're really fairly well-packed in. There's a there's a, a fair amount in there, I would definitely say. Okay. Now, you're playing this on the Switch. PS4. No? Oh, it's, it's PS4. Not, it's not out on Switch yet. Oh, of course. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well, forget my next question there. I was going to ask them. How's the game hold up performance-wise? Um, there are a couple of small like issues. Uh, one of the things that I, I talked about on the stream is that... So, one of the things that those 3D collectathon platformers... One of, one of the problems with them traditionally, and it's one that carries over into this, is that sometimes the camera is not your friend. Mm-hmm. That camera in the 3D space. And what I need to do is, because in... If you're playing most games in 2017, uh, because the three main consoles have their two analog sticks, the right one is generally for controlling the camera. Um, you will habitually be using the right controller to train the camera where you want it to be as you're moving. That's a really bad idea in this game. You need to let the camera go where it's trying to go 
because it will track behind you pretty well uh, for the most part. But if you start trying to move it around as you're running, you'll kind of, there'll be a moment of cognitive dissonance and you'll run off a platform or something like that because the camera will like turn a little bit too sharply and you won't quite in your head process the perspective oh is it is it like the camera's trying to fight with you or it's not like it's trying to fight with you it's almost like uh the camera was already going in the way that you wanted to go oh and you push it you too swing far. it way gotcha. too far yeah. and run off a bridge <laughs> and that happened to me several times okay. um the, there's a couple of things that are interesting and i thought oh that's kind of lazy at first but then i think about it it's like no i think this is a deliberate attempt to look like a game from that era so if you look down a massive gorge like a hole into nowhere eventually the coding of what that gorge looks like stops and it's just black mm. and not black in the way that that's supposed to look like a hole black in the way that that's so far down we didn't bother putting anything there right so th- that happens a bit but Again, I feel like because they could have just easily filled that in with rocks or anything else, I feel that was a deliberate thing to look like the way those games sure, do that. Sure. Um, and then the the one other thing, I had a, a moment where the, the 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 camera and the frame spazzed out on me uh, just once so far, and I haven't been able to replicate it. Okay. There was once where I was diving down uh, underwater, and it got to a point where the camera, I think, was it was almost like it was caught in the corner and you know the way they with walls they don't really the cameras move don't really move through walls very well yeah. so it was kind of rebounding off both of them and it got really jittery for a second um but apart from that oh how are the the swimming mechanics because swimming they're mechanics fine. are usually they're, they're, they're fine yeah. they're it's 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 not as uh the, the ones in banjo kazooie always felt a little bit imprecise to say the least uh, it's more it's more precise than that because you don't have the big wind wing span of wing span of kazooie uh that you can't really predict exactly how far it's going to send you every time you do a stroke um the other thing i was going to say is that most of the time though that the, the camera thing i was saying where you have to worry about the camera when you're doing an actual puzzle it takes complete control of the camera away from you just to fix it where the best position to solve that puzzle is right. thankfully so if you come up to a like a platform puzzle where it's uh, you're going up the side of a wall the camera will kind of pivot around to show it as if you're moving like left to right across the screen uh there's one there's a puzzle in the first level that's very reminiscent do you remember the sandcastle puzzle where you have to spell things out by butt slamming the floor yeah in banjo kazooie there's a similar one to that with symbols where you have to make out a bunch of symbols in a row but there's this thing in the middle uh, like a, a rocket launcher with a laser sight that's going around in a circle and you have to try to dodge it as you're hitting all five of them within 20 seconds. Uh, and the camera affixes directly above so that you can see all the same. It's, it, it, that's done perfectly. So Okay, yeah. well, so what I will ask is, I don't know how many reviews of the game you've read, but what do you mm-hmm. think is the... Um, general consensus reasoning for why some reviews are either negative or just kind of like five six out of ten middle of the road i think uh and i've read a fair amount of them and i think the 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 criticisms of the game are both fair and unfair i think depending on what the exact criticism is the one that i think is slightly unfair is that 
there are some outlets that have gotten people to review this game who this isn't their type of game anyway and this type of well that's i mean you could make that argument yeah. for any game but that's what i'm yeah. saying there seems to be because the collectathon platformer was always a fairly niche thing it it seems like they're and it not not just seems like it's people who are outright saying that i don't like these kind of games and that's exactly what this game is so they're not going to like it from the very start yeah there's not a fucking chance um I, I said on the, the the stream that the two people the two types of people this will appeal to are either like I would recommend it to children because uh, the characters the the the, the world it's a bright bold colourful platform it's, it's yeah it's fantastic yeah. for them and then the only other people would be people who were definite big fans of Banjo because they're sure. Banjo too but the other kind of criticism uh, I will kind of say is is fairly fair and those are people who just wanted more yeah. they, they didn't want just another one of these they wanted something that's going to take the core of that and then change it into something completely different yeah something that just wasn't a reskin of banjo yeah yeah i like i i think it's a bit harsh calling it a reskin but what it is it treads no new ground yeah we'll put it to you that way like it, it is it w- if this had come out a couple of years after Banjo Tooie and been the third one in the series, it wouldn't have been out of place. Sure. Um, it just doesn't. I like I. I wasn't expecting it to revolutionize the concept because this whole project was sold from the start as like this is a complete throwback. Yeah, of course. So I was not expecting it to be massively different at all, and it's not. Uh, but that is a fair criticism like if you were someone who wants to see that genre move on in leaps and bounds and be kind of reimagined for 2017 you didn't get that yeah. so that's but hey the game has a significant lack of Jontron, so it's a 10 out of 10 for me that's true and a significant amount of Shovel Knight yeah so uh, also is... a 10 out of 10 from you <laughs> <laughs> okay that's gonna do for playing this week let's move on to the news news on the mark Mark, first thing in the news, 2017, we've got some news on Wind Waker. Yeah, okay, so I am a big fan of speedruns and speedrunners and uh, freaks events. of nature that they are. Yeah, I know, right? And events like Awesome Games Done Quick, Summer Games Done Quick, because uh, they raise an, an insane amount of money for uh, cancer research. And uh, one of my favourite games to see speedrun is well, any of the, the Zelda games, because they are fairly long in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing the way that players break those games it is interesting. Like, yeah. there's the, the the super, super interesting one for me is in Ocarina of Time, where before you go into the first dungeon uh, room with Goma, uh, there is a way that you can glitch out the game. So when you go into the next room, because the next cutscene would be where you look up and Goma looks down at you, but there is a way to glitch it. So the next cutscene that you get is whatever is in the file registry of the game. And for some reason, Nintendo decided to not make that file registry of the cutscenes in order. So the next one in order that is in that registry is the cutscene uh, just after um, you beat Ganon for the first time and then you have to run down the tower as it collapses. Mm-hmm. So you skip, you know, the entirety of the game, which is why an official speedrun for Ocarina of Time is like 20 minutes or something, which is madness. Now, one of the holy grails of the um, the speedruns, or a, a kind of obstacle that has been in the way of, of players, is uh, the barrier when you are underwater in um, in Hyrule, 
in the Wind Waker. You've got the big kind of mystical, smoky uh, barrier that's between you and Ganon's castle. And you can't get there until you've done um, the Earth Temple, the Wind Temple, and collected all the pieces of the Triforce. So if you watch any uh, speedrun of, of a Zelda game, you'll usually see ways that players kind of get around, like in Ocarina of Time, uh, where they get past the doors, the, the boss doors, where instead of getting the keys, they just find ways that they can glitch through the walls, essentially. Um, but there was no way to get past this barrier because all that happened because it's just a massive fuck off uh, like wall that goes around in a big circle and there's nothing you can do you're on a bridge you, you jump off the bridge you fall to your death and you land back up uh, th there's nothing you can do uh, other than if you because if you roll into the uh, the barrier you just kind of ricochet off of it and so players knew that they could ricochet off the wall and then there would be that second or so of um, invincibility and that they could kind of run into the wall and stay there but they couldn't get any further uh, and so someone a while ago said that they had figured out a way to get past it but they hadn't recorded it so everyone obviously called his bullshit because this has been an issue players have had for you know well over 10 years because uh, I think the official speedruns are like 3 hours 30 seconds uh, 3 hours 30 minutes and so someone has found a way where they get into the uh, into the, the barrier and then by using a couple of um, tricks, which involves using a program so you can kind of see the in-game mechanics and you can see all the different angles and inputs that are available. And by using one of like 15 angles out of like 400,000, you can find a way to uh, trick the computer essentially, um, use a forward attack and then glitch through the wall. Uh, so players are now doing a 3 hour 30 minute run in like now 3 hours essentially um, which still requires them to then beat Ganon's castle and beat Ganon all on 3 hearts you know yeah. uh, it's just it's madness like seeing how players will break these games uh, is, is super super interesting um, and yeah it's like you can find it the, the videos are out there the guy goes into detail and that's the thing I like about speedrunners as well is like they will explain fully what they're doing certainly during like awesome games done quick and summer games done quick uh the person who's playing will just be playing through and if they can't describe because they're trying to do what they're doing like usually they'll have a person next to me saying oh this is how he's doing this this requires x amount of frames and whatever and they, they super get into it and uh always always interesting like if you want to see how a game can be deconstructed um, and see just how broken games can actually be. Uh, I'd absolutely recommend like checking this out and checking some more videos out as well. Mm. Uh, let's talk about G2A for a moment. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, I don't know how closely you've been following this story, I've, Mark. I've been following it. Uh, so, G2A are a fairly well-known uh, gaming key auction site uh, who have had partnerships with some developers in the past most notably of late Gearbox because uh, it's through them that this whole thing has blown up uh, and have had kind of <clears throat> they've also done sponsored content with a bunch of uh, popular YouTubers over the years um, not too long ago John Bain uh, known better as Total Biscuit on the YouTubes um Published an expose of sorts um, around G2A, 
claiming and also claimed by uh, is it Total Build? I can't remember who it was. Um, someone else claiming that uh, a lot of their keys are a lot of their business is built on a fraud based economy mm. what it is what is leveled at G2A and G2A have yet to conclusively prove that this is not the case um, is that uh, over 26,000 of their keys for a bunch of different uh, Steam games were bought without a penny of the company's money and actually bought using $450,000 worth of illegally obtained credit card money uh, using other people's credit card details um after total biscuit kind of uh blew the lid off this story gearbox who had an official partnership with them and was going to be using them to sell a lot of keys to bulletstorm the yep. the, the, the remaster the of bulletstorm um, which is like 55 60 oh, quid, by the way fucking ridiculous <laughs> um for a game that bombed when it came out the first time oh, yeah 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 right. Um, and who's and their unique selling point for this one is that it has Duke, Duke Nukem, Nukem who's not exactly you know revered at this point in yeah, time. Yeah. Um. So after Total Biscuit did this this expose, um, talked about it, wrote about it, um, Gearbox rethought themselves because even they, there's a certain amount of bad press even they won't put up with. Now the Alien Colonial Marines uh, situation yeah. would tell you that maybe they can tolerate a lot. <laughs> But this was getting into bed with a company that are being accused of fraud, fraud on a massive yeah, scale. Sure. Um, like, there's one thing selling a game that clearly wasn't what you intended to sell. Um, but this is, yeah, this is this is bad. So basically, Gearbox demanded. They said, "Right, okay, uh, prove that this is not the case, uh, and everything is cool. Don't prove it. We're gone. Separate times. Uh, sure. And instead of proving it." Uh, what they did was then come out and accuse John Bain of uh, defamation. Sure, yeah. Uh, saying that it was untrue. There was no kind of backing up of the their points, their argument, or any conclusive kind of uh, putting to bed his arguments. It was just uh, slinging shit. Yeah, and now Gearbox have walked Yeah. Uh, on the deal. Your, your thoughts on this trash fire? Uh, it's exactly that. Um just by their unwillingness to prove otherwise kind of says it all really mm-hmm. um i think i did see a tweet earlier which was the effect of hey we got all of these codes off the back of a lorry so therefore yeah. you know we own them now it's grand um or something along along those lines i'm not saying for verbatim uh i w- what is there to say you know it's mm-hmm. Buy your games legitimately, people. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we've known about. Uh, I don't want people G- like that having my credit. But card the thing is, like, G two A have always been pretty. Well, a lot of shady. YouTubers that backed away from their deals described them as, and I quote, "shady." Yeah. So the the info has been out there that they may not be above board for quite a while. So it's it's good to see that Gearbox have taken it upon themselves to to leave to kind of set a precedent, uh, which is good considering, as we just said, their track record isn't great by any means. But it also it just this whole fucking um, bullet storm game project has just been a fucking shambles from beginning to end. It like sure I has, think yeah. I saw it. It's I think it was like 17th or 18th um, in its first week of sales. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, 
developers tend to look at like the first couple of weeks now because there is kind of a trickle down of word of mouth but that game isn't going to do anything no. uh, just a fucking disaster completely which is a shame thing. because but it's not people, a great game the people who actually like it's the game really say it's really good fun game but that game should have not been any more than like 30 euros max it's got it might be verging on some personal best that this the, that a company botches the release of the same game twice it's yeah, <laughs> within yeah. a couple of years. Just oh, I don't know. Was that 2012, 2013? Uh, around there, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, moving on to slightly happier news. Bayonetta is on PC. Yeah, yeah, it is. That had been that kind of rumored for a long time. Freaking that came one. out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, what do you think of this uh, arriving? People are saying it's really good that even uh, not quite up to scratch PCs are still belting it out looking pretty nice well i mean that game had to run on the ps3 mm-hmm. um and to be fair I it barely did didn't run very well on the ps3 that's why i played the xbox 360 version yeah, you're a you're a bayonetta fan I'm a big, well i'm a big platinum fan but yeah bayonetta was is by far one of my favorite games from the last uh, generation but uh out of this publisher sega and developer platinum games um there's now rumblings that um, further Platinum games might come available. Uh, the game is currently fourteen ninety nine on Steam mm-hmm. and uh, is meant to run with an uncapped resolution and at 60 FPS, which is really good. And yeah, as you said, it, it shouldn't demand too much in terms of your hardware. One would assume not to hold your breath for Bayonetta 2. No, Considering that's... no one really understands what exactly the deal with Nintendo. Yeah, that, that one's a little bit uh, yeah. more up in the air. Uh, but MCV spoke... Oh, no, sorry. They spoke with PC Gamer. Uh, and Platinum expressed their enthusiasm for further PC ports. And the big one that people are hoping out for is Vanquish. Um, so, and, you know, I'd expect that, if it did come out, would run very well as well. Because that actually is a lot more stable uh, on the PS3 more than the uh, Bayonetta version on PS3. So, yeah, it's, it's really cool. Um, I, I'm sure there are people out there holding out for... Uh, uh, Red Dead and whatnot, and other games of that nature, the big kind of fabled games of that size to get on, on PC at some point. But it's a step in the right direction, and it seems to be doing really well. I think it's like globally the second highest selling game at the moment. There's a million and a half units or something? Something like that. But, you know, it's 15 quid, which is a really good deal. Um, And it's, yeah, it's an incredible game. So, good. Yeah. Um, Prey which is uh, Bethesda's next big game coming out, coming out right at the start of May. It's the... Uh, we thought for years it was going to be Prey 2, but it's a whole reboot of that series. And from the first moment I saw it at, um, I think, Bethesda's conference, either last year or the year before E3, I thought this looks very, very interesting. And uh, in what is a move that I thoroughly recommend more people do, uh, we're going to get a slice of that game a week beforehand. The first hour of the game is going to be able to play as a demo on PS4 and Xbox One. No mention of PC yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll be available on the 27th of April. Uh, has Prey been on your radar at all? Your Prey-dar, <laughs> shall we say. <laughs> no. <laughs> Come on now, Dave. Yeah. It, uh, Certified known wimp over yeah, here. Yeah, this, this is true enough. Yeah. Uh, looks pretty damn good. Uh, the... Um, if if you if if you listen to the, just just this brief description here from Eurogamer saying that uh it's part Bioshock part Metroidvania and with plenty of Arcane's own DNA it's a sci-fi first-person shooter, I am well into that. But it's a really cool idea, and I think we've spoken before about 
uh, developers taking more of a of a risk and like making games available in some form, whether it's um, like a trial period over the weekend. We've seen yeah. with like Overwatch um, and what Splatoon did with the, the global test fire. The global test firing. Um, and yeah, and, and something like this to get the first hour to give you a taster. It's I absolutely think that more developers should be doing it, and I think we are seeing that. So it, I'm presuming that it is being it is effective. Nintendo have actually started to figure out what the internet is very slowly, and realized that it, it's kind of been a, a good bit of sport amongst the hacker community for years to see how quickly they can get into Nintendo hardware. Um, I enjoyed was it the people were able to get um was it somewhere was it, they were able to jailbreak the uh, the Wii U and get Dreamcast stuff running on a Wii U or something crazy like that they did I mean it might have been the other way around because you can play anything on the Dreamcast because uh, yeah. you know <laughs> that thing had no fucking security but uh, Nintendo have now decided to do uh, what a lot of companies do in the modern age and that is to uh, put out a bounty or to uh, a lot of companies will either put out a bounty or they will hire people to try and attack their system to find vulnerabilities yeah. so Nintendo have announced that they've put a bounty of $20,000 US that's 16,000 uh, pounds for details on switch security vulnerabilities so now they want you to try get into the switch and be good boys and tell them about it yeah. um, I think that that's a that's a clever and modern move to make for Nintendo. It's fairly uncharacteristic, which is the only thing that really makes this news. For most other companies, this wouldn't be news. Uh, but the fact that Nintendo actually thought of something like that is quite something. Yeah, I mean, you're going on the faith that uh, everyone's going to be a good sport about it. Mm. and uh, But yeah, like, if it works, if there is conclusive evidence that hey here is is a way that the the network can be broken and we've seen over the last few years certainly with the fiasco with sony um that this is a real thing you know people will try and break into there, people's personal there accounts. are people already trying to get breath of the wild up and running on pc i have seen that that's the wii u version they're getting yeah uh, and the the only security incident that has happened so far with the Switch is that people dicking around inside the um, the operating system for the Switch have found a hidden web browser in it that isn't you can't find normally on okay. the on the system. So why I'm presuming so, it's to be released at some point, or or it's it was an aborted idea. Okay. I don't and just left in this the source code. Right. Uh, but either way, they think the existence of that internet browser is possibly a way to get in or yeah. uh, like a There's... at least a, a sign that there are bigger vulnerabilities in that neighborhood. Does uh does the switch have two step verification? Because that's like a pretty uh, mandatory thing these days, I feel. For, um, um, well, the thing about that is, like, if you have to do anything that involves purchasing or anything like that, it doesn't, at, at le- uh, uh, unless I haven't found it yet, it doesn't let me save credit card information. No, but then the Wii U didn't allow you to do that. And any time... And I don't think the 3DS does either. Any, no, the Wii U does. Oh, so it's the 3DS that yeah, doesn't allow you The Wii U lets you save your credit card yeah. information. Um, but it mandatorily puts you purchasing things behind that and I think your password block as well. Okay. All right. um, I don't know about two-step verification for logging in because I have it set up to, because I'm the only profile on mine, I auto-log in like sure. I do with my PlayStation. Yeah. So it'd only be if I go to log in on someone else's Switch or someone else goes to log in. Well, on it's mine. only like, because for Sony, it's only if you try to log in like on the website that it will do two-step yeah. verification. Yeah. Um, or after an update or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. Um, 
but I would imagine, I would say if they don't have it, I would say by the time the app arrives for the phone to handle the the web ch- the the voice chat and things like that you know when their online service launches later in the year yeah. i'd say by then probably is when you will have it if 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 it isn't in there um star wars battlefront 2 is coming out this year to the great surprise of nobody we talked about it a few weeks on the show and the the teaser trailer for the game leaked this week and one of the things or uh, there's two things about it that are um quite positive for me uh, one of them is that it's pretty much seems to be all eras of Star Wars going all the way from uh, Darth Maul is in this trailer all the way up to Daisy Ridley's character from uh, um, episode 7. That's it. Tap on the table. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, from yeah. episode 7. And it's also going to pre-order... People who uh, pre-order get some characters from The Last Jedi, which is out this Christmas uh, from day one. Um, yeah, that's absolutely something that should have been in the first one. It shouldn't have been just uh, original six movies. It should have had everything, or at least a kind of an expansion with uh, people like Darth Maul. Like people, people love themselves some Darth Maul, sir. Yeah, but it's, you know, like, I, I'm sure uh, with this, the EA were looking at the bigger picture, and this being a a franchise of game or a series of games and thinking about why, what content was she having this one, she having the next one. Uh, it's it it's very cynical to say that, but I do feel that, that probably was was part well at of... least in this one. I think they they have been burned now and they're just throwing it all in from the start. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. And the other thing that's really good about it, and it's the one thing that definitely was a massive gaping hole in that game, is that this is going to have uh, a single player mode, uh, a new and original story mode. So it's an original story for this game uh, that I'm I'm going to. Uh, uh, I'm not going to buy this game, uh, not straight away anyway, not until it's deeply discounted. Because mm. I, I, I've said before on the show that in short bursts, that first game is really good. But yes, you it, have. It, it, you there's have just not that. enough substance to it to keep you interested in it for any real length of time. Uh, so I'll be just, I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on this one. We'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Glad to see more content coming in though. Uh, un- speaking of more content, Uncharted: The Lost Legacy, the the DLC for Uncharted Four is coming out in August, the 22nd of August to be exact, and it's going to be priced at $40. No price for the UK just yet. Uh, It is going to be uh, both a digital download and a separate boxed release. So you could just, kind of like with the... Excuse me. uh, Like Infamous First Light and a couple of other things like that, you will be able to buy completely separately if you don't already have the game. They said it's about, what, 10 hours as well? Yeah, 10 hours or a, bit, a little bit more. Yeah, um, I was surprised by that. That's pretty good. But um, you, you know what's going to... For that price, it would need to be that long. Do you know what's going to piss me off about this, right? What? Is that if it doesn't sell particularly well, you know there is going to be that small subsection of the internet. They're going to be like, well, it's got two lead female protagonists, yeah. which is why it didn't sell very well. There's, there's going to be a certain percentage of the internet that no matter what it does, whatever problems they perceive are because of that anyway. So there's no real point in thinking about those cretins. Yeah, I saw an incredible tweet earlier today about um, there is a game on Steam that has the word heroin in the title. Um, and so, not heroin as in that you fucking... <laughs> And uh, and so a person was like, I'm I'm enjoying this game, but I'm wondering if I should because it feels like uh, there is SJW pandering in here, and so I don't know whether I can like this game or not because it has the the word heroin in it. And it's like, 
if you like the ge- you've probably played Metroid at some point, you know? <laughs> yeah. I just fucking oh. Um Remedy, the game the the, the studio that is uh, well known for Quantum Break and Alan Wake of late Xbox exclusives have announced that their uh, next game codenamed P7 is going to be coming to PlayStation 4 as well. Marking the first time that Remedy have produced anything on PS4 since Max Payne 2, the fall of Max Payne. Uh, Good to see Remedy coming back into the fold somewhat there for PlayStation 4 players. Well, I imagine uh, with, you know, the Xbox One being where it is at the moment in terms of its Mm -hmm. install base, the Quantum Break, oh, sorry, Quantum Break, uh, Remedy probably want to, you know, get a bigger slice of the pie. Hey, they had one of their best years of all time last year. Uh, with Quantum Break, yeah, but think how much bigger it could have been. It's the uh, it was the best selling new IP on Xbox One. Um, they got what was it, sixteen point four million in revenue in fiscal year twenty sixteen. Yeah, but you got to think bigger, brother. <laughs> um, it was a nearly a twenty percent increase on twenty fifteen, which is pretty good for them. Uh, but yeah, good to see them kind of coming back into the fold there and uh, producing more on consoles. Yeah, I'm all for that kind of stuff. Um. YouTube, uh, we talked about the the partnership, the sponsors pulling out left, right, and center. There's no need to retread over any of that. No, we, we've covered that. Uh, but the, the big news coming out of that is that uh, PewDiePie, the number one uh, figure on YouTube, is now you may have heard of him. going to be branching off slightly. He's still on YouTube, still doing his regular content on YouTube, but he's branching out to do a weekly show on Twitch. Indeed. Um, starting quite soon, I think, yeah. or maybe already started. I, oh, yeah. I, I didn't follow exactly but uh his statement on the matter saying that because of this whole sponsorship deal there are going to be a lot of content creators on youtube that aren't going to get paid or if they are it's not going to be nearly as much uh, in the next month or so and it's a it's a forward-thinking move you you don't want to tie yourself to the platform no uh, because then your your income is at the the whim of that platform um so yeah. branching out to something like that from pewdiepie is with, a smart move with that said does need to stop being a bit of a dickhead uh, and and just know when to rein it in with certain things and know when to accept and this goes for a lot of YouTubers who find themselves... I, you say that, his subscriptions are still going up so maybe I, yeah, he doesn't need to... I, I get that. No, okay, his subscriptions are still going up but his advertisers and sponsors that's like mm-hmm. been slashed in in however many pieces so like his subscriptions can go up all he wants but if he doesn't have the advertisers behind him yeah well his advertisers the advertisers that are leaving youtube made up a, a, a not really hugely substantial portion of his income a lot of the if you get like, i don't know i imagine the disney deal was pretty fucking significant well that's completely separate from this story no from this story yes, yes but yes. still it's yeah, that affected his, like, this whole YouTube sponsorship thing hasn't really affected him that much, nor does it affect most people who don't live and die by the platform. Still, in, in the bigger grand of things, he does need to just stop with, you know, the whole Nazi thing. Um, Which, I, you know what? I'm going to put that out there to everyone, uh, considering uh, the last 24 fucking hours. Can we please stop with the whole fucking Nazi, don't Hitler, the war. Holocaust centers thing? Don't Don't mention the war. Go 8-Bit, the, uh, the the show on Dave over in the UK that's hosted by Dara O'Brien and Eddie Gibson, uh, formerly of Eurogamer. Um, 
they uh, their show if you've never seen it before it's uh, Dara Breen hosts it and she's kind of the gaming expert and there's a couple of proper gamers on and they're paired with a couple of comedians and they compete in in various games um for fun and hijinks basically um it's a it's a reasonably entertaining watch i've, I've watched most of it now i think at this point the second season was already announced and that's coming in may but uh it's obviously a, a big enough success for dave because they've already announced that there's going to be a spin-off show for it uh entitled uh, and i really appreciated this go 8-bit dlc uh, which is basically going to be the same people from the show, uh, minus Dara. It's going to be Ellie hosting the show with the two uh, proper gamers who are on the show with them. Uh, and it's going to be like a gaming review and debate show. It's going to be more proper uh, content for gamers rather than light entertainment that revolves around video games. Uh, more of this, I say. Um, yeah. There's going to be uh, some... <laughs> Yeah, there's gonna be. It's gonna have uh, some guests on it, uh, including Susan Kalman, uh, Jamali Maddox, uh, Rihanna Pratchett, Terry Pratchett's daughter, uh, Scroobius Pip, the Weasley twins from Harry Potter, uh, James and Oliver Phelps, and uh, Darbian will pop in. Ah, there you go. He'll pop in for a feature to talk about one of his favorite games of all time. Some sort of book club. Uh-huh. Hey, get the lawyers. We should probably <laughs> try and get Dar on sometime. Get yeah, the lawyers. Yeah, uh, it's. It's nice to see a show like this. I don't, I don't know how much we've actually spoken about uh, Go 8-Bit um, since the... Well, the first time when I talked about it, you hadn't seen any of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've watched bits and pieces. It's just, it's a nice show that doesn't try and um, convey this idea that video games are still for children. Um, you know, considering that the people that are hosting the show are very much people that have kind of lived through those the golden years to where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there was a, a video game show on Sky One that was presented by two, I think, like, late teens, early 20s, and it was just fucking insufferable. Um, I'm still waiting for us to get, like, a big video game show back on, like, BBC One or ITV. I know that... They'll be waiting a while, I'm Yeah, I know that uh, BBC News or BBC 24, I think they have, like, a tech show at half an hour hour every week. I think Mm -hmm. Simon Miller's doing stuff for now, which is pretty cool. Uh, But, yeah, it's it's good. It's good to see stuff like this. And, uh, yeah, it's all thumbs up from me. Uh, Final uh, bit of news here uh, the the role of honor the winners in the 2017 British Academy Games Awards uh, the gaming BAFTAs uh, I'm just gonna run through here if you have anything if you want to stop mark I'll uh, we'll, we'll, we'll throw in some words here or there uh, we read out the nominees so I don't need to read the, the nominees out again um, but I'll, I'll just read out the winners uh, the AMD eSports audience award went to Clash Royale BAFTA Ones to Watch Award in association with Dare to be Digital uh, was Among the Stones by Blue Door Games. Uh, Best Performer was Sissy Jones as Delilah in Firewatch. It's fair enough. I really enjoy Firewatch. Mm -hmm. Uh, Original Property, Inside. Uh, Narrative, Inside. Uh, Music, Virginia, which is fair. Uh, I think Best Multiplayer, Overwatch. Probably see that coming a million miles off. Yeah. Uh, best mobile Pokemon Go we probably saw that coming a mile off uh, best game innovation I think we said this at the time that Dragon Cancer won yeah um, 
you know how dare you be heartless enough not to give that an award <laughs> in fairness uh, best game design inside uh, best family game overcooked which we still need to play uh, best evolving game Rocket League best debut game Firewatch best British game overcooked best game Uncharted 4 uh, audio achievement Last Guardian artistic achievement inside and a special award awarded to Brenda Romero <sighs> best game Uncharted really it was a pretty good game uh, it, it's a good game uh, but uh, I don't know I mean yeah. yeah on that list I think Overwatch was far more of a phenomenon uh, I enjoy Firewatch a lot more um, I think those are the only other realistic winners there. I'm not saying I'm bitter because I didn't go to Stardew Valley, but <laughs> I'm bitter because I didn't go to Stardew Valley. Uh, yeah, this is, you know, whatever. It was a good year for, for games last year. I think well, that that is... It's to be a good first half oh, of the year. Hell, this, know, right. this year is ridiculous. But, but no, it's if you just go through the categories, um, yeah, it just shows that 2016 was... Uh, a banner year like 2007 and what's the other kind of 2013 2013 was a great was year because that yeah, was uh, Bioshock Infinite Last of Us and a few other things yeah so yeah 2016 it's it's looking and GTA 5 pretty good so far yeah pretty damn good that's going to do it for the news this week I'm going to hold I'm going to hand over to Mark now who's going to intro you into the book club uh, oh thanks for just throwing that on me anytime jeez okay yeah no this week um, Dave is is gonna sit this one out because myself I've been benched you have uh, myself and our uh, special guest this week Brian Rose are gonna have a look at a game that's very influential um, and very unique and not the conventional JRPG that you would think about with the likes of the uh, Square Enixes of the world and uh, Chrono Trigger, Secret Mana, Final Fantasy. Something a little bit different. Uh, we this week are looking at Earthbound. Officially translated as Mother 2, it was released for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System on August 27th, 1994 in Japan and on June 1st, 1995 in North America. It was designed and directed by Shigesato Itori. Earthbound chronicles the adventures of Ness, a 13-year-old boy who journeys around the world using his psychic powers to collect eight melodies in order to save the future from an alien of pure evil, intending to sentence all of reality to the horror of eternal darkness. Despite being successful in Japan, the North American version was released to a poor commercial response. Years later, the game is now lauded by gamers worldwide for its humorous deceptions of... Uh, sorry, deceptions. <laughs> I'm going to do that again. <laughs> I was doing so well. <laughs> oh, depictions. Oh. God. Depictions, Mark, you idiot. Alright. Earthbound, officially translated as Mother 2 
was released for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System on August 27th, 1994 in Japan and on June 1st, 1995 in North America. It was designed and directed by, by Shigesato Itoi. Earthbound chronicles the adventures of Ness, a 13-year-old boy who journeys around the world using psychic powers to collect eight melodies in order to save the future from an alien of pure evil, intending to sentence all of reality to the horror of eternal darkness. Despite being successful in Japan, the North American version was released with poor commercial response. Years later, the game is now lauded by gamers worldwide for its humorous depictions of American culture and parody of the RPG video game genre, and has since become a cult classic. Now, myself and Dave have done a number of games now over the last two years, uh, but this is the first one where really neither him or me have spent enough time to feel fully confident in breaking down what makes this game a uh, classic and, and kind of worthy to be on um, the list of games that we have so far. So we've had to bring in the big guns to, to do this correctly. Uh, so with me today, I have uh, freelance writer Brian Rose and a friend of the show as well. Uh, Brian, thank you very much for coming on to spend a little bit of time to talk about Earthbound. Thank you for having me on. Um, I will just want to start with uh, kind of finding out at what point did you come on to, uh, to to finding out about Earthbound? Was you there at the start or was you did you find out about it a couple of years later? It wasn't until years later. Um, it was around like the early 2000s when I got into Earthbound. Um, you know, growing up, I was not into RPGs at all. Um, it, it wasn't until like Super Mario RPG came out where I really got into them. And as I looked at the Super Nintendo's library of RPGs, you know, this one stood out above everything else because, you know, there's Final Fantasy, there's Chrono Trigger, Secret of Mana, Secret of Evermore there. I mean, they're all developed by the same company. And um, other titles like Breath of Fire, they're, they all kind of have this, like, fantasy kind of element. They, they all share common characteristics. And Earthbound really doesn't have any of those characteristics that you see in, in um, other RPGs. So um, that kind of what drew me to it at the start. And and then, um, and you know, I'll fully admit it, I... Uh, got the ROM at first and I played the ROM and I really liked it so I ended up buying it for like $50 like maybe 10 years ago 10-15 and uh, now it's like uh, tripled in price so it's it's good that I got into it when I did because now it's like I think even for like a loose uh, Super Nintendo copy it's like $200 it's 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 crazy. Yeah, there's yeah. there's, there's kind of like a myth with the game that has grown over the years, uh, and I think like the availability of the game that has grown with with the game over the years um, has has been a reason for that increase in price. As more people have been able to play the game through other means, that the actual physical copy of it uh, has become um, has become quite valuable uh, over the yes. years. Like for me, from what I know about Earthbound. Um, what seems to be a, a favourable comparison these days is Undertale, which yeah, yeah, which I actually got to play last year because, uh, like, as an admission, myself and Dave, we don't tend to play JRPGs or RPGs. Um, it's 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 one of the genres that um, I can't get into unless unless it's a Pokemon game um, <laughs> or it's. 
it's short enough that my attention span can deal with it, which Undertale yeah. is only like six to eight hours long, depending on how many yeah. times you want to play through it. But from one of the things that I hear about the comparisons is that they they kind of break away from the standard, standard tropes of what you get in a JRPG. Um, and that the the setting and the, and the writing and the humor all uh, create a very different vibe of what you'd expect from like a Final Fantasy or, or a Chrono Trigger. Like, can you talk to me a little bit about that comparison and how accurate it is? Yeah. So, you know, with Final Fantasy and these other Square Enix RPGs, it's you're set in a world completely different than yours. It's um, a tale of um, you know, fantasy. It's 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 fantasy oriented. It's most of it's about war. Most of it has like weird monsters. Um, and Earthbound does have weird monsters, but it's the thing with Earthbound is it's set. It's it's based on American kind of uh, cultures and American. It, it looks like something that you can go out and you can, you can see the comparisons between that Earthbound and you know landmarks in in America. It's it's very similar in style to like um to like america and, and it in final fantasy you don't really get that at all but you definitely see the western flavor in earthbound and that's definitely one of the appealing things it's, it's you also see it in uh the original mother for nes and um yeah the difference between that earthbound and final fantasy is simple it's, it's just that it's Earthbound you can kind of relate to more because it's not about you know knights and swords and paladins and and all this stuff. It's it's about a group of kids um, and they do face monsters and they do have to battle this giant um, enemy in Gigas. But um, you also have antagonists like Pokey and um, you know they're all kids and you have to deal with kids and you uh, deal with uh, buffoon policemen and. Well, there is an element of um, mysticism, and there's an element of uh, you know weird bosses and stuff like that, and out of this world kind of stuff. There is a space theme to it at times, but it's mostly it's mostly based on um, it's a little bit more realistic than Final Fantasy. I mean, not totally, but it's kind of more relatable, especially when you use items like uh, baseball bats and. Uh, peanut butter sandwiches and, and stuff like that. So it, it's a bit more relatable than, than Final Fantasy and um, you know the other Square Enix RPGs or JRPGs. It's it's way more re- relatable and more um, grounded to earth. I would say. Do you find it interesting that um, it's a game that maybe not so much uh, from what I understand about it, not so much a, a kind of social commentary on America, but does have a lot kind of looking at America that this is a game that was made by by Japanese people like is there anything that you feel uh, gets lost in translation or uh, like what what do you see in uh, in the game being made by Japanese people and it's kind of look at uh, America hmm well I don't know if there's anything like really that stands out that makes me say well Japan totally didn't get this about America. I I think I kind of like the idea actually of them parodying uh, American kind of uh, I, I guess you could say American kind of uh, values or, or whatever. Or um, but yeah, um, there's nothing that really stands out to me that says you know 
um, they totally got this wrong. I, I mean, I this, the parody stuff I saw about them and America, um, I think it was more like a tribute to American and Western values more than anything. I mean, some people might have different opinions of that, but there, there was never a point where I thought, well, they totally got this wrong. Okay. I, I thought there's some elements where, you know, I could see what they based stuff like the Runaway Five on the Blues Brothers and, and stuff like that. And I thought that was kind of charming. It, it's it's something different that no other Japanese developer took on. And uh, they gave their own vibe on what American culture is. And I, I really appreciated it. I, I kind of thought it was pretty funny. And um, it's been, they didn't do the localization, obviously, Um but um, whoever got the localization, um, I thought they did a really good job with this, and they added a lot of um, pop culture stuff that I really appreciated. Like nothing off the top of my head, but I know it was a, a really well done um, localization. And um, I think there's some stuff that didn't get translated that I think. Or you, you know, I remember that they uh, sampled uh, the Beatles in some of their songs. Oh, really? I, yeah. Some of um, some of them, I forget which ones exactly, but I know uh, whoever composed. I think is a big Beatles fan, and I think I think whoever did it is a big Beatles fan. So um, yeah, you get you hear some of that. I think yeah. So I think it's more of a tribute than anything to American uh, culture, as opposed to like parodying it. I mean, some of the um, I think um, Pokey's mom is. Kind of weird looking. I, I think some of the graphics are, um, you could say, kind of parody American people and customs and stuff like that. But um, beyond that, I don't, th- I don't think it's anything like parody wise, like like in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, um, you just mentioned there about the the graphics. Like Earthbound mm-hmm. is, um, among other things, with being a, a JRPG, it. it feels and looks quite unconventional for a jrpg yeah. of that time uh again with the the comparisons to like everything that square enix was putting out at that time um like the character models and the kind of aspects of the way that houses and objects are drawn feel kind of clunky you know they don't feel like a kind of fully finished product they, do you play the game and, and feel that was a, as an intentional design or um, a, 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 just a mistake that they just went with? Or does it kind of fit in the kind of context of what the game is? It's certainly in the way that like um, the game feels like it's a game that was made by kids, you know, not so much um, through like... Not so much that you're you know, just playing as a kid, but it, it feels, I don't know, like it has a kind of innocence to it up until it yeah. gets all a bit kind of nightmarish towards the end. Yeah. Um, I can see that. I could, you know, I never really thought of it that way, but um, I could see this as kind of like, this is what a kid's interpretation of a RPG should be. I, I can totally see that. Um, I never really thought about it until now, but yeah, that kind of makes sense, because... You know, upon release, this game did get um, criticism for its graphics, that it was kind of ugly, and, you know, you compare it to games like Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger, and, you know, those two games kind of blow this away in terms of, like, technical uh, level of graphics. But um, I've I've always found the graphics to be charming. I I mean, um, yeah, I I mean, it's colorful, vibrant. 
Um, I think it just adds to the overall package, which, I mean, I mean yeah, for most of the game, it's very cheerful, very uh, vibrant. I, I really enjoyed the graphics. And, and, you know, you can point out and say, well, maybe this is kind of like a kid's interpretation of what um, America kind of resembles. And, you know, I, I, I can see that. I can totally see that. So, yeah. Um. Do you think that it adds to the effectiveness of, um, again, not having played the game to kind of really appreciate it, but like uh, the, the point where the game kind of switches into the more, uh, should we say, nightmarish aspects of it? Like for the first time you played it, did you really kind of feel the effectiveness of that transition from this kind of cute, charming visual style to what happens towards the end of the game? Uh, well, I I did um, kind of notice that towards the end it was kind of getting a little weird, but I, I thought the transition was fine because of uh, the, the story. And, you know, towards the end it kind of gets darker. And, um, yeah, I mean, I never, I never thought it was weird or anything. I, I never thought it stood out, but I, I thought it was perfectly fine. I, I think the transition was that bad well I, I see weird not in a in a negative sense but in the the kind of design with the intention of of making you feel like a little bit uncomfortable that it's gone from a, a particular uh perspective of being this kind of cute charming style of game to oh here's some more uh, kind of uncomfortable themes and elements being explored mm. yeah um I, well, can you repeat that? I'm not really sure. Oh, sorry. So, no, just um, from again coming from like what I understand understand about the game, and then from uh, some different people I've I've read, review the game, and, and play the game, that mm. it has that that uh, transition from where the game presents itself as as kind of just sort of innocent, and again from the the uh, perspective of, of playing as a kid. Um, and playing through the eyes of the kids, and and it seems like a just a kind of nice RPG. But then you know when you have the transition and like the end boss with with Geargas, and it's it feels like a, a different game almost at that point. Um, just in, it all be, gets kind of horrifying or has kind of horror themes towards the end. Yeah. Um, like is that really noticeable? I think so. Towards the very end, yes. Um... And I kind of like that because it's it makes it different. It's um, again, Earthbound is a very different game from everything else, and um, yeah, most of the game is like you describe it as being very pleasant, very easygoing, and towards the end, it's totally not like that. So I mean, the shift in tone is noticeable, but um, I kind of like it like that because it makes the it signals the end of the game, or you're getting towards the end of the game, and you're finally getting through this plot. And um, the plot, it does become darker towards the end. So, I mean, I think it's a perfect fit. You talked to me about the the combat and the mechanics in the game. Uh, hmm. Because one of the, the things that um, myself and Dave don't get on board with is, is turn-based combat, uh, unless it's doing something unique, like Undertale does something very, very unique with the way it handles uh, the kind of traditional tropes of, of RPG combat. Um, like, is Earthbound's um, 
like a typical you have attack defense item run away um and you take a turn they take a turn you take a turn they take a turn like does it do mechanics in the same way or does it have its own kind of unique spin on traditional turn-based combat it's largely like that i mean i think it's it's i think it's more typical than people assume it is in terms of um gameplay i think the only real difference between earthbound and other rpgs is that you can still attack while your hp meter goes down like if you get attacked the hp meter starts falling and you can still get into one more attack if you're cautious enough i think that's a big difference and um I think it also had autoplay, which I think didn't have, and most RPGs didn't have at the time, so that was kind of different too. So, um, I mean, there are things like attack and defense and special attack and, and you know, stuff like that, and Ness and Paula and Jeff and, and all of them. Well, I don't think Jeff has magic abilities. I think it's Paula and, and uh, Ness. But, um, yeah, th- those two both use magic and um, have healing abilities and stuff like that that very make it very much makes it a typical RPG in terms of, uh, you know, just straight-up battling. I mean, the, the enemies are remarkably different than in other RPGs. Maybe. I think that kind of makes it different than other RPGs. But then, that's again, it's the whole uh, concept of Earthbound that's so different than other RPGs, uh, aside from the battles. Can you go into a little bit more detail about you know, the ways that the, the enemies are different from other RPGs. Uh, just like uh, descriptions, like I think I think the runaway hippie at one point was, is a is an enemy. Um, the starmen, uh, snakes, dogs, st- stuff like that. I think flying saucers. There, there's definitely a space theme, so there's definitely a flying saucers and uh, trees too. There's evil trees that attack you. Then there's just a ton of different out there kind of enemies i mean you'll see things like bats and stuff in in most rpgs but uh not hippies and trees and stuff like that they they go really out there in terms of uh enemies and i kind of like that too can you uh talk to me a bit about the the main characters uh in the game that you play through and what uh, makes them stand out, what makes them memorable, and kind of how they sort of tie in just to making Earthbound the game that it is. Well, Ness is the main character, um, and he, I mean, he's very much a typical RPG kind of character, uh, main character in that you kind of play through him, and I mean, you do interact with his family, and, and they're fine, I think they play a minor role in, in the game, and so, um, yeah, I mean, that's he's not too much different from other, um, you know, main characters like Chrono and you know, other characters you, you play in other RPGs. Um, let's see, uh, Paula, uh, yeah, she, she um, you, you know, she possesses telepathy and um, her. I wish I could have replayed this game before I came on and talked about it because I forget most of the plot. We, we, me and Dave have had this a number of times with some of the games we bring up to play. Uh, it's like, really yeah. should have spent a little bit of time before we come on. Yes. I imagine it's, it's more difficult with something like an RPG because there's obviously so much to, to take Yes, in. Yes, I mean, and the goal for me always is to get through it and sometimes I forget like key parts of the story and I'm often bad at that, but... 
Um, no, I mean, Jeff and Paula both play a big part of the game, and towards the end you get Pooh. I mean, he has a weird name, but... Um, I mean, he... Um, I mean, I remember Jeff and Paul more than Pooh's story because Pooh's story is more towards the end, so he's kind of just a guy to me. But uh, Jeff has an interesting story where he's a he studies at this winter uh, kind of academy, and part of the game you play as him and not Ness, so it's it's kind of interesting to interact with him, and um, he teams with a monkey too, <laughs> and uh, that was that, I really like that part of the game, and. Um, yeah, another another big part of the game is rescuing Paula, and um, and that, that, she's a very I mean, since you only play as these four characters, you you remember them and they're all memorable. But like, if there's any like in terms of, like, is there any big uh, character development? I, I I don't know. I don't I don't really think so. Um, it's more about the adventure as opposed to uh, individual stories. At least that's kind of what I remember it as, but. Yeah, I, mean, I wish I could go into more detail, and I wish I could have played this game, but uh, a little bit more this week because I knew it was going to be on here. But yeah, in terms of like plot, I completely blank out at times over stuff. <laughs> how um like is how it, long is the it's game? It's been a while since I beat. How long is the um, game, and um, is it just uh, like a single story from beginning to end, or are there like different endings? No, I think there's only one ending. Um. I'm not sure in terms of hours. I think it's anywhere between 20 to 40. I mean, it's not that long. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, I wish I could give, like, a specific time, but I don't remember, like, how it's, long it took it, for me to beat it. it. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not 100, which is a good thing. No, no, it's not even close. Because God, um, God knows I, there's too many games currently out this year that are about 100 hours long that I'm not sure yes. I'm going to find time. I would say it's about 20 or 30 hours. Okay. I mean, if you really stick to it, I think you could beat it in a few days. I mean, one thing I remember, and uh, I bought the 3DS version recently, I was playing it. I just remember how hard it was. It's, it didn't get very difficult. Uh, it's very much a grinding game, very much like the first one. Um, yeah, it's it's requires a lot of grinding, I'll it, tell you that. Is it both a combination of grinding and is there... Um, a- is there like a crypticness to it in terms of getting from point A to point B? Um, or does it? I kind always of... follow. I always follow the walkthrough. So yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is a little. Cri- I, that's most my problem with most RPGs is that, especially during this era, it can get really cryptic as far as where you need to go next. And um, I always refer to a walkthrough, so I at least knew a little bit where I'm supposed to go. But <coughs> yeah. Um, it can be cryptic. It's a RPG from uh, the Super Nintendo era, so it can very easily um, send you in one direction, and you just realize you need to go in another direction. It, it can get kind of difficult, but yeah, I had uh, uh, I had Sean McGee on uh, recently, and we did Final Fantasy IX, and he was offended to know that I use walkthrough guides when it comes to RPG games. And, I think you have to for RPGs. Yeah, well, I was just trying to point out, I was like, look, I, I don't have many hours spare these days. Like, if oh. I was a kid back in the mid-90s where I had all the time in the world after school, it's a bit of a different story, but, you know, I'm I'm working on a fixed schedule here. I need to just get through this game and, and see what the ending is. Exactly. I mean, if I was, like, 12 years old, I could spend all night playing Earthbound and doing whatever, but 
Nowadays, uh, I don't have that luxury, so yeah, I, mean, I, I do have to refer to walk walkthroughs. Yeah, I mean, it was great for about three months of the year last year where I was unemployed because it was just Stardew Valley twelve hours a day. But you just, <laughs> yeah. just can't do that anymore. Um, nope. What do you think is the reasoning behind the the North American version not being uh, commercially successful, um, but kind of getting that? Um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, that kind of years later, kind of people come back to it and say, "Hey, this is a, a game that you should, you know, play." Um, uh, God, what's the what's the words? My mind's gone blank on me here. Um, mm-hmm. What, like in terms of mar- why it didn't sell well? Yeah, why why it didn't sell well? But you know, has gone on to have um, kind of strong word of mouth and oh, a strong. Um... Cult following. Yeah, cult following. That's it. That's the words I was looking for. Well, I think why it didn't do well is because of marketing. I don't think Nintendo really marketed this game that well. It was launched with a set of stickers, like you could scratch and sniff, because that was kind of the big thing at the time. And uh, they advertised this game by saying stuff like, you know, this game stinks. <laughs> you know, when you market it, when you market games like that, I mean, people are not going to get into it. Um, I mean, that's not the only reason. I mean, you can also point out that at the time, RPGs weren't even that popular in North America. I think it didn't really take off until Final Fantasy VII a few years later. So um, I think those are the reasons why. Plus, you know, Final Fantasy kind of had a rep back then, so it could sell well. Square Enix games usually sold okay here at the time. Um, Nintendo, and and when they released an RPG... um, you know, it didn't have a very strong following. I don't know if it even got big word of mouth at the time. So, you know, you release a, a franchise that's really popular in Japan, but it's not popular in North America. And, you know, we get the, our first look at it. And, you know, without strong marketing and without any kind of uh, previous entries to play, because we, we officially didn't get um, Earthbound, uh, the first game, Earthbound Beginnings, until like two years ago. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's why it didn't work out well in North America. Just not that big of a, of a perception to it. I think also the graphics didn't help that much either. I think a lot of people found it to be kind of dated. Um, as for why it, it uh, gained a cult following, um, I think sites like Starman.net helped a lot. I think they just um, went out of their way to be this big Earthbound community that um spread the word around and you know more people got to play it and more people liked the humor more people liked the uh graphics and gameplay and story and i think that's why against this cult following because you know nintendo for years went out of their way to not even mention earthbound or bring up earthbound it took a lot of um support from sites like Starman.net for Nintendo to even um, remember that Earthbound kind of existed here at one point. So um, I think Ness's popularity in Earth, um, Smash Brothers helped too. I think that's opened up a lot of people's eyes. Like People like playing as Ness and they want to know where he's from. And, you know, you could also point out that you know, Fire Emblem got its start here um, as a result of Smash Brothers' popularity. So I'm pretty sure Earthbound played a role um, 
or Ness's popularity in Smash Brothers played a role in Earthbound's popularity. Um, yeah, and of, and of course, it finally got a virtual console release a few years ago, and I think it's still at the top of the uh, Wii U virtual console sales. So, yeah. yeah, I imagine so. That being, you know, the first time, um, like, because for me, my first introduction to to NES was through Smash Brothers. Uh, just wondering who who's this kid? What's going on here? <laughs> um, and then kind of getting a little bit more clued in uh, through the years afterwards. Um, and yeah, I, I'd imagine that that would probably be one of the most successful games because just the inaccessibility of it at this point. Um, and that's one of the great things about the Virtual Console and one of the things that makes it so infuriating that uh, Nintendo don't just kind of open the floodgates with, with Virtual Console to, to everything. Um, did you know anything about the the planned N64 version of, a, of an Earthbound game? Yes, that would later be Mother 3 for the Game Boy Advance. Oh, really? Uh, it's, yeah. It's mostly the same story and same characters, but I think the team behind... The Mother series had problems porting it over to. Oh, that was really good. My dog's jumping on me. <laughs> uh, but no, um, yeah, uh, they had trouble porting uh, or making 3D graphics, and that caused the game to be delayed and ultimately canceled. Um, you can also combine that with. Uh, they were trying to make this a 64 DD game, a disk drive for the N64 that. Um, it was popular in Japan a little bit, but never really gained enough traction. I never got a North American release, so um, that and the trouble with graphics caused the game to get cancelled, I think, a few years uh, after the, it was announced. And eventually they, they took their stuff and um, translated it to a 2D Game Boy Advance game, which we're still waiting for an official release, but I think it's coming. Maybe. I hope. You say that through bated breath with uh, fingers crossed. It um, seems like every year we get closer to it. So maybe this year, maybe next year. Who knows? I think we're going to get it eventually. I mean, I'm still banking on that Star Fox 2 game to be released, but uh, who knows? For, for Super Nintendo? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's out there. I mean, like. I mean, I've I've played the 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 rough kind of version uh, that's yeah. out there to play through emulated means, but um, it seems they can't make a good Star Fox game anymore, so they might as well just release whatever version of Star Fox Two is out there. Um, yeah. One of the things we do here to to kind of round off is we get um, depending on whether it was me or Dave, the game we've picked, uh, we get to do a, kind of an elevator pitch. You've got about thirty seconds in an elevator, and you can tell someone why they should play this game if they've never played it before. So, Brian, you've got 30 seconds. Give me the pitch on Earthbound. Earthbound is completely different than any other RPG you go play on the Super Nintendo. It's witty. It's funny. I love the graphics. The gameplay is pretty fun. Um, where you travel around is pretty fun. The characters, you know, I'm, I'm not... I mean, I like the characters. The characters are fun. And the interactions you have with all the other people you come across in the game is fun. So uh, I think the key word here is fun. Earthbound's a fun, witty, funny RPG with uh, great graphics and music. So definitely give it a try. It's different than everything else out there. Lovely. Right. Well, uh, thank you very much, Brian, for for coming on. 
Um, I do appreciate no it because uh, Lord knows myself and Dave wouldn't have been able to do this game justice. Uh, please, by all means, um, plug anything that you wish to plug, and uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Um. Well, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at br26. Um, I'm doing stuff for WrestlingObserver.com, so check that out. Uh, I write for Nintendo World Report. Check them out. And uh, I think that's it. I have a book uh, that reviews every WrestleMania ever, and you can check that out on my Twitter because I'm plugging it constantly. And, uh, yeah, that, that's it. I can definitely recommend The uh, the Depths of Mania. Um, I yes. enjoyed reading through them last year uh, as they were released, so definitely go and have a look at that. Uh, yeah, thank you very much, Brian, for, for coming on. I uh, appreciate you spending the time. Um, I'm sure at some point there'll probably be uh, a, a chrono trigger or something that we will have yes. to talk about again, so uh, we'll probably get you back for that. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much, and uh, we will leave it here, and uh, I'll bring Dave back on. So, see you then. Sixty-four slices of American cheese. Sixty-four. Have you been up all night eating cheese? I think I'm blind. <gasps> Good day to you. Well, wasn't that a lovely little chat that you had there with Brian? Yeah, he's uh, he's a good lad. He knows his stuff. Um, we'll probably get him back on when we look at maybe some of the other SNES JRPG uh, games because Lord knows myself and you are not particularly qualified to uh, to talk about them. No, no, in- indeed that is the case. Um, yeah, I, I think Earthbound is not one that like I've I've tried it a little bit, but uh, I. It's something I always meant to... Whenever turn-based combat comes in, it's usually a big brick wall for me. Yeah. Like, looking at Persona 5 at the moment, like, it looks pretty fucking rad, but I'm just like, it's turn-based combat. I just can't... I can't get myself invested in that kind of game. One last bit of business before we wrap up here for the week, and that is to go with uh, what game we're going to be doing next week, and it is my turn this week. And I thought that we would follow that narrative thread that I I just... I, I... beautifully set myself up for it there by mentioning turn-based combat because I'm actually going to go with something that does feature turn-based combat but I it, I didn't hit the brick wall with it mm-hmm. because I'm a big fan of it. Um, I'm going to take you and immediately when I say these next few words you're going to know where we're going and you'll be very happy about it. I'm going to take everyone to a console a little, little handheld console called the Game Boy Advance. I'm aware of it. And we're going to talk about a game um, a, 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 a real-time strategy game of sorts uh, Mark is already happy. <laughs> All right, we're gonna talk next week about Advance Wars. Woof. <laughs> yes, uh, I think it's about time. Right. We're one yeah. of the one of the early games the two of us bonded on our mutual admiration. This for. is true, actually. Yeah, because I true. don't meet many Advance Wars advocates out in the wild, even though I should. But they are out there, mm-hmm. and let me they tell you, they're very right under rocks. What's the the Switch game? Um, Wargroove. Wargroove, yeah. which is a great fucking name for a game, by Wargroove the way. Wargroove is a great name for anything. Talking about games that are essentially just a reskin of an older game, but everyone's more than happy with it. 
Uh, that's going to do it for episode 62 of Link to the Cast. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher as of this week. Yeah. And most podcast platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast. Give us a subscribe, a rating, a review. All of it helps. We appreciate it very, very much. The website is linktothecast.eu. Uh, that is where you can find all the show notes and things like that. I've prettied up the site a little bit this week. So you have, there's a direct link to our RSS feed at the bottom as well as our social stuff. Um, and I've kind of just tidied it up so that there isn't as much of a kind of uh, death by words happening on the on the home splash page. I wasn't there. aware of that, but thank you very much. Yeah. You're not, I'm going to have time. a look at it right yeah, now. You're going to have a look at it. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, drop us an email over at linktothecast at gmail.com. Uh, our social media is probably the best place to follow us or communicate with us on. It's the thing we monitor by far the most, and it's facebook.com forward slash linktothecast or at linktothecast on Twitter. Uh, myself, I'm at Dave Ryan IV on the tweet machine. Mark over there scrolling through our website is at well, that's good, by the way. That's really good. Thank, thank you very good much. Uh, we stream videos over at twitch.tv forward slash well, the one cast of us does. and arca- archive later on YouTube if you just search for link to the cast, either as separate words or all one word, whatever way, whatever way you prefer. Uh, our Generally, our weekly video schedule starts off with Mark on Mondays, but that has been on a bit of a hiatus because Mark is a, I have is a baby man with his time management. Shut the fuck up. Uh, <laughs> I've I, been locked out of most of his PS4 yeah, yeah, right that's now, kind of the which is a issue much now. more convenient excuse. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'll find something I can do, or I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Uh, Wednesday is Retro Corner 64, and what is it we've got going up today? Is it uh, Killer Instinct Gold is going up today? I believe so. Well, we might be putting... Uh... I know. I, I had an idea about that. Okay. Just, uh, we're, we're not going to do, uh, yeah, we're not gonna do another staff okay, meeting right. on air. But uh, Killer Instinct Gold is definitely coming up, is definitely up this week as you're listening to it on Thursday. And uh, next week is Cruising USA. You can look forward to that one, guys. We should do that one twice. Whew. Uh, Thursday is when the podcast comes up. It's the only thing that usually comes out that day. Uh, so do enjoy an hour and a half, two hours of us babbling about the video games. Friday finishes off the week with Friday Plays. Generally speaking, I've been playing Sadness Simulator. That is Life is Strange. Uh, which I've really been enjoying in spite of all the aforementioned sadness. But this week I've taken a break from it to play a little bit of ukulele for half an hour. Uh, so you can check that out on Friday. Uh, yeah, that's going to do it for the podcast for this week. Uh, thanks for listening and we'll see you again. Au revoir.